Rising up, back on the street. Did my time, took my chances. Oh, get out of here. Yeah, okay. Welcome to Dragon's Cast, the podcast brought to you by Drexel alums who all believe that Doug Jones is fake news. But first, we discuss Drexel basketball. With me today, I have Marshall Fleming. Thank you, Bama. Nick Intrieri. Get at your boy. Bill Martin. I've returned. And I am your host, Leon McCodden, and this is the third episode of the 2017-2018 season. And we have a pretty short two-game stretch to cover that were pretty up and down, both against in-state opponents. But I guess let's start with the good news. We went to LaSalle, rocked our gold alternate jersey, and played a game against the Big Five team and actually won. What did you guys think of this game? I was pretty amazed that we won. In fact, we didn't have Tremaine Isabel, and we only really had two guards the entire time. So, um, I thought we'd get beat up pretty, pretty badly, and it was a, it was a nice surprising win for me. Yeah, this was a very, very um, surprising win. Um, awesome game for the whole team. Um, you know, I, I think we all, Leon, Bill, and I were watching it during our company Christmas party on an iPad. Uh, so for me, it was a little bit, you know, I didn't get to see like an end to end game, just kind of bits and pieces. Um, it looked like Kirk Lee was really kind of came back in the Kirk Lee. We know, um, we took a big lead in the first half, I remember. And, um, they kind of closed the gap in the second half and then we just kind of hung on at the end. Um, you know, what's interesting is. I don't know, Leon or Bill, if you guys ever figured out what happened at the end there. I remember it looked like Mohica missed two free throws. I remember uh, I won 20 bucks from Leon betting that Mohica would miss two free throws. And then uh, there was going to be like another play. It's the kind of fan you are. <laughs> He's trying to reverse psychology. And uh, it didn't work. But I still made 20 bucks. And then we just saw a final score. So we didn't even see the last play. Uh, I'm not really sure what happened. Maybe Marshall can educate us. Maybe you guys know, but I, I don't think I ever circled back on that. Yeah, I forget what the last actual play of the game was, but it was, to me, one of those games where it seemed like we were always about to lose despite never actually trailing. Um, I think uh, if that game... I mean, any number of the thing, number of things goes wrong in that game and we end up losing. But luckily, we were able to hang on at the end and win it. Um, I think I was the only person to predict winning. But I did also, when Tremaine was uh, announced that he was out, I did think we were going to lose. I thought if we were fully healthy, we would win. But uh, I also thought that we would need a monster game from, uh, from stretch. And I was actually, he had a good game. Uh, but I was glad that we just spread the scoring all the way around and were able to put up enough to hold on to win. Yeah, I, I think what Nick mentioned, uh, the last, I think what ended up happening was we just missed two free throws. They came down with a limited amount of time left and missed as well. It could have, if they'd made that shot or if it had gone to OT, I think it would have probably a different game. It seemed like um, our very short roster that game with Tremaine out as well. Uh, was hanging on by a thread probably at the very end over there. They were probably all pretty tired, I'd imagine. But uh, there was no way we were going to win this game, probably without shooting over 60% from the three-point line. And I'm used to Drexel losing games like this, like where it's just like we're down and then they'll come down and they would have hit a three-pointer. Like I, I don't know if some of it's just luck 
but I feel like we've seen so many buzzer beating losses over the years or, you know, we bought something and, and they score. So I'm even surprised we pulled it out. I was expecting us to lose even as we led the entire game when it got that close towards the end. LaSalle just took Villanova to the, to the wire. Getting into that? It looks like they should have won. I did see that. Oh, maybe we have some hope against Temple because I think Villanova just rocked Temple, didn't they? Before that? So maybe we have some hope yet. You mean LaSalle rocked Temple? That Nova rocked Temple. Yeah, Nova beat I Temple, know. I believe. I don't know how Nova beating Temple helps us, but LaSalle beat Temple. We beat LaSalle. So maybe that, you know, math equation works. We'll see. I mean, it is amazing. Like, we, we don't have... Yeah, I mean, we all thought, you know, without Isabel. You know, I think, you know, to to the earlier podcast, you know, we want to be able to win without him, and we won without him. Um, one thing we still haven't seen yet, uh, and maybe when we get to the Robert Morris game, we'll talk about it, is Isabel and Lee both playing together at the same time. Well, playing well together at the same time. You know, Kirk Lee has, you know, looked like last year's Kirk Lee out there against LaFowl. Um, you know, and I think he's a player that, you know, wants to play with the ball in his hands on offense. You know, Bill, we and I were talking about this, how he doesn't seem to move very well without the ball. Um, and Isabel the same way. And, um, just so happens Kirk Lee had his best game of the year uh, when Isabel wasn't playing. You know, he played all 40 minutes, 23 points, only had three turnovers. Um, he had our, he had his threes. Um, you know, we could have shot better from the free throw line. So Marshall, there's your theory didn't really come to fruition here. We only shot 55% from the free throw line. Still won. Um, but other than that, yeah, but you know, nearly lost. Pretty solid game. Yeah, if we had shot better though, that game would have been a lot more comfortable. Yeah, and I think a lot of the free throw misses started to come towards the second half too, if I remember correctly. But, uh, Another, like two other players that I think had great. Sammy can be very streaky, but Sammy Mohica had a great game. He was probably one of the bigger contributors when it came for the three point shooting. And Austin seemed to have a pretty decent game as well. And if and what comes down to, I guess, uh, the players that are on the court stepping up and Kirk Lee without him having an amazing game, we weren't going to win that game, but we still had it from a team standpoint, like 18 turnovers that game, it looked like. And we, and a lot of that might have been in the second half when we started to give up the lead and they were able to cut it close and we held it together. But it didn't seem like if, to me, the only stat, uh, anything, only thing from the stat sheet that kind of stands out is probably that we shot an incredible 60 plus percent from the three point land. So yeah, that's an interesting point. Austin Williams had six turnovers. How does a big man have six turnovers? That's a lot of turnovers. I don't know if you guys, guy. I don't know if you guys have been noticing this, but he has been terrible passing the ball this year. I don't remember no, him I being that he, bad last year. He has been just a mess. Looked, like some of the passes are, are all over the place. He had a rough game, with Robert Morris, but I don't remember six turnovers at LaSalle. Maybe this is when I was doing karaoke or something. Um, but that, that's a lot of turnovers for a big guy. No, I, I think it, you're right. It's uh, a lot of it is coming. From his lack of court vision, I think Rodney was probably a better big uh, passer as a big man. But we'll get to I guess Demare, who seems to be seems to have better court vision than Austin Williams does. But uh, you know, in the end of the day, it was a 
city school that we beat. And I think that's what we need to do more of. So I think we're going to get another opportunity later this week. So hopefully we do, we beat Temple. But this is a big game to walk away with a victory on. You think we just got lucky? You think we just got lucky and had a bad game? Or you think we, I mean. No, we played a good first half. We we built up a big lead in the first half and held on enough. Like, I guess we got lucky in the sense that the second half was only 20 minutes and not 22 minutes. But we we played a good game without our best scorer. And in the end, I guess I'll take it anyway we can take it. If we got lucky and LaSalle had a bad outing, I guess I'll take that too. Hey, yeah, any wins anyway we can get it right now, especially with the short roster we're playing with. Uh, and the injuries we've had this season, I'll, I'll take a win anyway. And it was a tough choice for me not to go to the game. Uh, I, I, it was between the Drexel game at LaSalle, uh, front row tickets to the Sixers game, or coming to the Axe of Christmas party. But I would have missed Nick singing karaoke, I guess, for any, any year. So I ended up going to that. But I was glad at least was able to watch the game on the iPad. Wise decision. <laughs> was there any Moneyblower songs? No, well, this is how we do it by Montel Jordan. Although, in my mind, it sounded so much better live than when I saw clips the next day. It sounded so bad. So I'm not sure about those clips being added to the show notes, but. (laughs) Oh, man. And it goes on and on. But I think that's the only thing I, all I had from the, from the LaSalle game standpoint. Did you guys have anything else to add? I liked what Spiker said after the game, uh, in the press conference. I didn't realize that the gold jerseys, uh, are specifically reserved for city games in the Delaware game. I think he called them gold jersey games. So I like that the team's getting pumped up for these local rivalries and historic rivalries like that. And even if it's something as, I guess trivial as changing up the jersey color. Uh, the fact that they has some importance. I, I like that. No, I think that's cool. Yeah, I agree. I saw I saw that in the press conference too. It was um, very very inspiring. <laughs> I, would, I wasn't going to take it that far, but yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that sounded that sounded yeah. sarcastic. <laughs> uh, no, nah, it was cool. I, you know. Gold, gold alternate means Philly school means we get up for it. You know, it was very, yeah, it was very moving. Um, so yeah, if you, little things like this, you know, if it gets gets the blood flowing. All right, and, uh, and, and with that, we can go to a game better. There was not much blood flowing. <laughs> uh, we flew over. We flew. Oh over. man, I just got <laughs> cut off. I was I was so mid thought. <laughs> no, you know what? No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Let's go talk about Robert Morris. Let's go talk about Robert Morris. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't think there's going to be much talking needed over here, but uh, we, uh, you know, after the wonderful victory at LaSalle, we got to play Robert Morris in Pittsburgh, which uh, I guess the Robert Morris president knew something that uh, President Fry didn't because he had a wager with, uh, with the Drexel president, and uh, he was, he, you know, he knew what he was doing because this game did not look like the same team uh, that played against LaSalle, even though we had the return of Tremaine Isabel, albeit he didn't seem 100%. Um, I think there was a lot of things wrong that went wrong in this game. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the NJIT game, but I'll 
Uh, it, it didn't seem as defeating as it, but initially, at least, we were having some trouble loading the, getting the feed on. But once I, once we, once the game started going, initially, we started off bad with turnovers and free throw inconsistency. But what do you guys think, other than those two, maybe led to our defeat by the Robert Morris Colonials? I mean, Isabel definitely was not 100%. He, you could see he didn't have his usual um, quickness out there. He, he still made an impact, but it wasn't the same um, as he usually had. And then I just noticed that, like, not... I mean, most people in the game just didn't play very well outside of Kirkley, and even he had some, a bunch of turnovers, but, like, Mojica shot the ball terribly. Uh, Austin Williams probably didn't get the ball enough, um, although he rebounded pretty well in that game. And then those guys were just um, raining threes down and dunking on fast breaks. So they just outplayed us all all around. And um, our lack of depth at guard is, again, hurting us. Yeah, I mean, turnovers were another problem. Um, it seemed like we were moving too fast for uh, – without thinking. I just remember seeing, like, turnover – and, like, careless turnovers, too, like – um, and it says Kirk Lee had four turnovers. I remember him uh, just kind of carelessly throwing passes out of bounds. Um, you know, just we were, we were trying to move quickly, but um, we weren't caring for the ball in that quick movement. Uh, you know, another thing I kind of noticed, I don't know if you guys have seen this, a little bit of a theme, but I remember in this game is like we, we kind of make too many passes sometimes. Like we have the guy drive and he kicks it out and he passes it to another guy and that guy fakes a shot and drives and passes it to another guy and then passes it around. And then three people passed up shots. And, now, and then Mojica has to fire up a at the buzzer, the shot clock from NBA and it doesn't hit the rim. Like that definitely happened in the Robert Morris game. Like shoot the ball. I'm like, the, yeah. I like the ball movement and everything, but there's, Sometimes there's like too much ball moving and no one's shooting. Open shots. Am I the only one that notices this? Or no, I I, I agree. I mean, there's a there's a couple guys that I, like Doles. I think needs to be shooting the ball more. I mean, that's one of the, actually one of the disappointing things for me with, on this shortened uh, roster that we have with all the injuries is that Doles really hasn't done much. I know he doesn't bring much off the dribble or anything like that, but. I would have liked to see him get a couple more shots up from three and it just hasn't happened at all. I don't know exactly why that is. I don't know if he's not getting open or if he's not pulling the trigger quick enough, but um, he's one of those guys that just could have helped a little bit more during the stretch. But yeah, Nick, that, that's definitely the case. I saw Demir pass up with some and he can shoot it. We need those guys to fire up shots. I agree. Instead of having Mojica loft up a ridiculous shot with a shot clock running down i think some of that has to do with confidence and uh while i think there's a lot of confidence that kirk lee has and tremaine has some of the other guys are probably still and maybe even sammy now that he's a senior seems to be getting a little more confident albeit he's so shrieky uh after going and uh, coming from a game where he was hitting over 50 percent of his uh three-point shots in this game he uh he was down back to 30 percent so it's it's, I think Jarvis and even Demir sometimes they, they do that little quick pump fake and like even sometimes it's a head fake and they kind of pass the ball. They, you're right. I completely agree with you, Nick and, and Bell. I, I think we need to be a little more aggressive when it comes to that. And one guy that was good about being a little more aggressive and taking it to the hoop was Troy Harper. And 
he's still hurt. Hopefully he'll be back for the first CAA game. But I think we're missing that aggressiveness a little bit other than outside of our, our guards probably. I mean, Dole's is playing a lot of minutes and not really impacting the stat line very, very much in all these games. Bill's point. Um, you know, we got 19 minutes. You know, two shots in 19 minutes. One rebound. Um, you want to get... I know we talk a lot about intangibles, but I don't think... <laughs> I mean, I don't think Jarvis Dole is in someone you think of when you think of intangibles. So you want to see some tangibles, and there's no tangibles in this box score. You know, I mean, one, the one positive, I think, in this Robert Morris game is I think Demir... I mean, he didn't have he didn't have a great game, but I just I, I just like what I see from him. I think he can be really good. He's always around the rebounds. It's not getting the rebounds. He, he's got some post moves. Uh, he's got to get some confidence up. He had some turnovers this game, um, but he's a pretty steady four man for us. Um, and, you know, I. I, I it's just you know, and he's got he's got like the glue of the team. He seems to know where to be. I, I think he can be a really good complimentary player for us, and I'm excited to see more of him. And he's got a he's got a great feel for the game. He can shoot. He, he does a little bit of everything. You could give it to him in the post. I mean, he's uh, I did like what I saw from him too. Even though he's not like stuffing the stat sheet like um, some of the other players, but he does bring a lot of positive elements to the game that I think are going to be beneficial to us. Spiker, I think, mentioned like the backdoor, um, backdoor cuts that we've been seeing and scoring off of with with Demir in there, which we really haven't seen too much of previously. So that's a huge benefit. We haven't seen much of Carolinas recently. Like uh, he gets in, but he hasn't been doing much. Yeah, he's not. He's seen very limited minutes in the last couple of games. I don't, I don't know how much that has to do with the his uh, liability from a speed standpoint, but he does get up and down the court. So. Uh, and he's a shooter. He does have a three-point shot. So I'm surprised we don't see more of him. But every time he seemed to run maybe a three-big rotation, it seems to bite us in the ass. So I guess that's why. And we'd rather have Austin Williams and Demir in there if they're not in foul trouble. It's just a defensive thing, I think, because, I mean, he, he there's a couple of plays where he just gets blown by on defense. And I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily his foot speed as much as it is just awareness like he just he just gets beaten it's not even he doesn't even move it's not, I, don't, I don't know what uh what the problem is there but there's been times where he's been subbed in on offense for Tyshawn Miles and then subbed out on defense it's happened a couple times over the last couple games it's not for long either way but um but that has happened Tyshawn Miles is actually sorry man Tyshawn Miles has actually given a couple better minutes of the last couple games too he's not he hasn't done much but uh I thought early on in the season or for most of the season, he didn't give much at all. Like at least he provided some better defense the last two games and uh, uh, had a couple buckets. And so, what's the latest on Tremaine? Like, do we have a prognosis for him? Like, he's just playing through a foot injury, or I, I haven't seen anything on. Uh, I was looking earlier today, and I didn't see anything updated. But from everything I can see, seems like he should be back to 100 percent after this week rest that we have before. Our next game against Temple, I think it was a foot injury. I don't know much more than that. I don't know if uh, Marshall or Bill, you guys heard anything. I haven't heard anything. Uh, I, yeah, I haven't heard anything either. I mean, it looked like last game he was close. He just didn't quite have his uh, full speed back yet. So, um, 
hopefully with a weak rest, he'll be all right. I mean, you obviously really need him. It would be really nice to get one of the other guards back, though. I, I mean, this has just been a problem, you know, since we lost, um, you know, uh, all of our guards, really, that we just don't have a sub. If someone's struggling, like Sammy's struggling, we can't pull him out. Uh, Kirk Lee's struggling, we can't. There's no, there's just nowhere to go um, if someone's not having a good game. And it really hurt us, like, against Robert Moore. So it would be nice to get over 10 or over back. How is the ball movement in that? Robert Morris game because I didn't watch it. The NEC app is terrible and I couldn't get it to load. Uh, but the, the box score, my guess was that we didn't really have a ton of, you were, you were saying earlier, there was uh, a lot of ball movement, which while that might be the case, my prediction was that there wasn't really a ton of off the ball movement. So players without the ball, I, and it's something I've noticed the last couple games we go through, either stretches or in the case of like NJIT entire games where it seems like no one is trying to make stuff happen without the ball in their hand. And that was what my assumption was with this Robert Morris game. I don't know if that's true or not. Well, one of the biggest things that was Robert Morris game is that we couldn't get anything going right off the bat. And I think some of that probably has to do with what you just mentioned, Marshall, but right off the game, we had a couple of opportunities where we went to the line, we missed free throws there's a couple of opportunities where we could have probably uh, scored easy buckets where we turned the ball over. And, uh, I, I, but again, it goes, it seems that we pass the ball around a lot and hoping that the next person that the ball gets to uh, does something incredible with it. Like uh, you usually see in the NBA or something, but there's not much, uh, say, slashing or there's not much uh, big time plays happening like off the ball too. And uh, some of that also has to do with some bad passing that Kirk Lee had in this game, especially he's, he, there was some early turnovers by Kirk this in this game that hurt us. Kirk, uh, he was doing like a lot of these Harlem Globetrotters style, like one handed passes. He driving the lane, you know, and, and it wasn't necessary. Like, you know, like it was, I agree with the NBA analogy. Like we were playing an NBA game, but we're not NBA talent. Um, and they made us pay because they were on fire. They were hitting everything. Um, and, uh, you know, it was one of those games. That's why the score was 14 points. I think it was even worse than that. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think we played with a lot of effort, you know, from what I remember. I think we defensively, I, I know they scored 74 points, but I, I remember a number of times where I felt like we were in good position and they just hit a tough shot. So I, I don't think, oh. you know, it wasn't one of those things where some, you know, it was a lack of effort or, or, or that. And, um, I think we were getting into decent positions. We were just making, like we're moving the ball, we're, we're driving, we're just turning the ball over and, you know, and, um, not finishing some shots that we should, we should, we should finish. But, um, I, I don't think it was like a lack of defense, at least in this game that we've seen similar to what we've seen in some other games. But I, I thought the defense was actually all right. It was the, the biggest problem was you're right. The turnovers, like they, I don't know how many points they exactly had off of those turnovers, but they were getting dunks, like wide open dunks and layups down the other end. It was at least ten points from just a turnover that got converted into, you know, a dunk or a layup. So that's pretty much even the game right there. I mean, we would have been in if we just didn't do that. So um, they did. They did shoot the ball pretty well though too. 
but the turnovers just just killed us and it, it did happen early and it seemed like every time we made a run too like they would be turning over and they would have a dunk and they'd get fired up from it so this overall wasn't that great of a performance yeah, I would think the biggest difference we had from this in this game versus the NGIT game was probably what you guys mentioned over there with the effort. It didn't look like we really gave up at any point in the NGIT game. By the end of it, it looked like we didn't want to be out there on the basketball court. This one, the, I thought the team still looked like they were trying. It just nothing was going our way um, from a turnover standpoint, or even when we had some opportunities on our own end to get the cut the uh, lead down a lot more. We something. Something would happen, like a stupid off the ball foul would get called, or we could we could never get into a rhythm this game. It wasn't because of a lack of effort. They hit some like big three pointers. Like anytime I felt like we were making a, anytime we were making a run, like they'd come down and just drain a three pointer with a hand in someone's face, and it was demoralizing. I mean, they played well. I gotta say, I mean, watching them, I they did, they did, uh, they outplayed us. Uh, and pretty much every aspect of that game. So, I mean, you got to give them credit here. Yeah. No, I mean, this loss, it looks bad in the box score, but to Lena's point, the effort was there. And so I, I don't feel bad about it. I, I mean, I don't feel that, especially because we just beat LaFowle. Um, you know, these these times, these types of things happen when we go on the road. Um, you know, that's the cost of doing business. When you go on the road a lot, you get a team that's hot shooting and, can't do much about it. We could have done a little bit more about it, but at least the effort was there. And NJIT was just from a fan's perspective, not not great. This was just oh well, well no, it was just one of those games. But at least you know we didn't we never gave up at any point, so that was good. Yeah, I guess I don't know if there's anything else from Robert Morris game, but it is interesting to uh, from to me at least to see the different type of teams that seem to be showing up this season. We, we, we win against some tough teams like Houston, like I think, yeah, Ryder to a certain extent and LaSalle. And then we have kind of flat games against some other teams like NJIT and, uh, even this Robert Morris game. I don't know how good Robert Morris is, but I don't think they're ranked overall that much that great. So uh, the, there's a certain level of inconsistency there. And I think some of that has to do with our, again, we could go back to our limited roster that we have out there, the injuries we've, we've had. And uh, that allowing for if some player who's having a bad game, there's not much we can do to fix that situation. But I don't know if there was anything else other than that you guys saw or thought was leading to some of these games where, you know, we go from having a great game against a tough opponent to a shitty game against uh, maybe a weaker opponent. I, mean, I think I'm, I'm seeing the same thing too, Lance. Just the, like if we had a guard depth, it would be a little bit different. I, just right now, these guys pretty much have to play the entire game. There's no options, and um, it becomes an issue. I mean, I think we uh, we saw this like years ago in the CA tournament when Derek Thomas got suspended. Like uh, Damian Lee was having a rough game, and there was just nowhere to go because there wasn't a sub. So it's like the same thing. Like you just you need you need a sub in case someone is struggling, or you know, just need, needs a rest. But I mean, it's just. We need those guys back. I think if we get Overton and um, Troy Harper back, it'll be interesting to see uh, how much better this team is. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought I didn't think Robert Morris is that. Maybe they're not that bad. I know, I know they've been in the tournament a lot, but yeah, you know, I win reading good teams, losing the bad teams. And, um, you know, it's it's a new team. We're still gelling injuries. 
Yeah, we get everybody back. I started at least uh, Harper for CAA play. That that's gonna really we're gonna find out who we are then. Another thing, I guess that we we've had some. I think you guys you mentioned it before, Nick was the chemistry between the two guards that we have out there, Kirk and Tremaine. Uh, I think it's been something that we've t- uh, talked about a little bit before. Uh, again, this last game was probably not very indicative because of uh, Tremaine's not being at 100%. But uh, I think, Bill, you were mentioning how we should take, uh, maybe we should watch uh, more Houston games to see what Chris Paul and James Harden do to when they're out there to see how, how to move you know, when you don't have the ball and with something that Tremaine and Kirk both struggle with. But when we watch the game today a little bit, it seemed like they don't do much ball move, uh, movement off the ball either. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen much of Houston. I was interested to see how they play with, you know, two point guards because point guard is a very different position than a shooting guard. Shooting guard's got to move without the ball and create open looks by, you know, moving without it. And we have two guys who don't know how to do that. And they're both too good to not have on the yep. court. Um, so you got to play them, but so they got to figure out a way how to do that. And it is, a, it is difficult uh, to figure that out. So I'm not sure what the answer is exactly there. Um, but hopefully they'll keep finding ways to play together as the season goes on. Cause there are two best players. This is where coaching comes in. <laughs> That's some, <laughs> some solid analysis. <laughs> no, it's serious. That's this is where coaching is. It's called coaching. We got to coach. Tell them what to do. They're not used to some coaching. You need to adjust. Interesting coaching. <laughs> this is like it's like a new thing. Like analytics no. here. It's called coaching. <laughs> Bill's making fun. Go but ahead. Nick, Nick has a has a point. Like the if the players aren't doing that, and I think we've seen, like I said earlier, stretches of games or entire games where. There isn't off the ball movement. That is something that needs to be drilled into the guys. Um, so Nick's not wrong. He he said it simply and straightforwardly. But yeah, like I would like to see that improve in the coming games, and I feel like that needs to come from the coaches. The only other thing I can think of that it would be is if guys are just tired. But I don't think we've played that many games to this point, uh, even with our shortened rotation that it would uh, be purely from a tired standpoint that uh, that that's not happening. I don't think it has, for that, Marshall, I don't think it has anything to do with being tired. It's simply they're, they're both point guards. And it's hard when you've been playing point guard like your entire life to switch to a different position. I know it doesn't seem like that much of a different position, but it's it's just so different as far as what you ha- what you do. So having the ball in your hands, like, that's how both of those guys make plays. Neither one of them, they just mm-hmm. don't know how to move without the ball. So completely coaching them up into it, I mean, it, that's what needs to happen. I mean, they have to be coaching what they could be doing, but they're just not used to doing that. It's hard to it's hard to change that. I think Tremaine Isabel, I think, actually had a tweet that said something along the lines of, I, I'm not going to directly quote it because I can't, can't find it at the moment, but uh, it was basically something along the lines of uh, having a point guard play shooting guard is like having a quarterback play wide receiver. So that was a tweet that Tremaine Isabel put out, something along those lines. So, I mean, it is hard to do. Couldn't they just – maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but couldn't we just have like, okay, we had these 20 plays, 10 of which, you know, 
Kirk's going to run as point guard and 10 of which it's going to be Tremaine. And then those, uh, those 10 plays where Kirk's coming up as a, bringing the ball up as a point guard, Tremaine has to run, uh, play the role of the shooting guard. And it's consistent. You keep that consistent across, uh, uh, any game we play. I think that's, well, I think that you saying it that way, it just means like, okay, well, Kirk is going to, and plays, he's going to be the guy that drives and does all the stuff, and Tremaine's going to sit this one out. And then the other 10 plays, Tremaine's going to do his normal thing, and Kirk's going to sit that, those 10 plays out. You really want them to be – you want the guy playing the two. That's what it sounded like. No, I don't think that's what I was saying. That's not what I was saying. I wasn't saying that – I'm saying that Kirk's going to bring the ball up and play the role of the guy who you know gets the thing going, and somebody else, everybody else has to move off the ball. Uh, and it's not, I'm not saying he's just bringing up and taking it to the hoop every time. I'm talking about like for those 10 plays, uh, he's the one that brings the ball up and then sets, uh, you know, so distributes the ball or makes something happen and then passes the ball, you know, it's as opposed to the other ones. But yeah, I think, you know, for that, then you'd almost be better off just making one of them learn how to move without the ball better or whoever's better at it, put them off the ball. And I mean, I think that's what they're doing a little bit because usually, if they're both in there, Kirk brings the ball up. Um, yeah. I mean, Tremaine doesn't seem no, to move very well right without it. it. I think that's it's right just, to do it. You, you have one permanently learn that other position. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I think, is it, is it adjustment? Yeah. Is it, is it, is it like something, is it impossible? No. Um, so, you know, there's, Plenty of guys, you know, Steph Curry, wasn't he, like, converted to point guard when he was a shooting guard? And, you know, it's not an an easy thing to do, though. And especially, like, I don't know, one of those guys would have to make (laughs) uh, the concerted effort to learn a new position completely. It would probably be Isabel. Then make a concerted effort. Then make a concerted effort. I I know, Marshall, but it's not like it's, I don't know, it would be hard over the course of a season. I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. It's not easy. We might not, even if it's happening, we might not see the results on the court in the uh, out of conference, in the conference season, postseason, whatever it may be. I get that. But I don't know. To me, the if the finesse skills of doing it aren't there, at least the movement off the ball seems like it should be. Like, I just... I. I've never played point guard on a team in my life. Don't I'm not trying to state this as someone who knows from experience, but how hard is it to in the play of a game know that the other person is running point, maybe I should cut across the court. No, I, is that I don't think that if that is I don't think that that's that, that, that hard. Let me know, but no, but there's like I'll put this there's like a like as a two guard there's a skill to getting open without the ball. Like if you mm-hmm. watch like uh, even like Dame when he was here, like he had a skill of Phil Goss, you know these 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 guys like had a skill of like running around screens and popping open and finding like a small gap where they can get their three point shot off. Yeah, neither mm-hmm. Kirk or Tremaine has that skill. Yeah, I, right. no, I understand what you're saying. I I totally understand what you're saying. Like, we're, they are practicing every day. They played every day in the summer together. Tremaine was here last year. We've had all we've had all these games. By towards the end of the year, I hope, you know, it's, it's going to, if they can find a way to play together, we're going to win a lot of games. If we're still talking about no, this towards the end of the year, we're not, we're not going to, I mean, it's just that simple. 
and it's practice, it's repetition, it's coaching, it's all those things. And um, I think, like, I think I think you're right. I mean, I, I actually think like you have to just get a little bit more creative. You don't have a standard two guard, and maybe if we do get another guy who's healthy, you can shoot two out there. But other than you know Mojica, maybe you can do some sort of play where you just have those guys be more aggressive and get the ball to each other more, like. Uh, passage so the other one has an ability to drive too like just play off each other like that uh, it, you, ha- you have to get creative with it when you have two point guards that's what I was kind of saying to Leon like maybe check out what the Rockets do uh, uh, but without actually seeing the Rockets myself it looked like they were just hardened drives and everyone else stands around literally that's what it, that's what it looked like <laughs> that's what they do so, so how does Chris Paul get his points does Chris Paul have a bunch of points how does he get his points I'm, I, I'm actually gonna maybe I'll, I'll check out a couple more games to get a better feel for it. I didn't even watch like a full game. I think I think I think there's five minutes you watch for a sufficient bill. It looks like James Harden just comes up and pops the ball and goes in, and they win games. It's very simple. <laughs> so all we're saying <laughs> we, is that Kirk Lee needs to be James Harden, and everything will work out. Or, or Tremaine, one of them. One of them needs to be James Harden. I don't care who it is. Okay, it has to be. It has to be Tremaine. He's, he's got closer to going with the beard. I think. I don't. I don't know if Kirk can grow that that <laughs> level of beard. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Kirk's got that, but Tremaine, yes. And Kirk does look like he would be an insurance agent <laughs> <laughs> to be the Chris Paul in this scenario. Uh, that's, that's pretty good. So moving on from our guard play, talking about our bids, I think we were pretty happy to see how Alejandro Demir's fit into the system so far. Uh, Austin has had some good games and some some not so good games. He seems to still be struggling on passing the ball. And if there was anything you guys wanted to add from uh, what you guys saw of Alahan or Austin so far this year, or even Jarvis, really, I know Tadas has not been contributing so too much lately. But what do you, who do you guys think have the bigger upside going for the rest of the season? Do you think Alahan continues to progress, or have you already, you know as he gels more with the team? I mean, I'd like to see Alahan get the ball more. I think he actually he has some low post moves and actually good things happen when he's in there. He had a couple of turnovers, but I mean he can pass out of there too. Austin's passing has just been—I mean, we think we mentioned earlier—just been a struggle. So um, he can make plays in there. So I'd like to see him get the ball more. Tadas is too raw right now. I mean he—he's got some good touch in there, but uh, he's a severe liability on defense, so he—he he can't get too many minutes. Tyshawn Miles has been serviceable, but it hasn't brought that much to the table. So I think it's got to be Alihan, to me at least. I mean, I, I like Demir a lot. I, I'm disappointed in stretch, especially his last two games. Um, and he, I, I thought he played poorly against Robert Morris. You know, I know he's getting a lot of blocks. He's been active, you know, but um, I think he seemed a little, you know, the, like we said, the passing. And I, I, I guess I thought he'd be a little bit more consistent with passing and getting you know, and, and not turning the ball over, you know, I, I mean, I think the mirror is going to be our, our, uh, our second best big guy. Um, I, I don't expect much from miles or Kurt Karanias. Kara, 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 I think by the end of the season, you'll get his, you'll, you'll get his name, right? That's fine. Go, right. go, 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 go with, much easier. Why? Go with what you, what you, from your heart. Why go are you from going your heart. by his last uh, <laughs> He likes the challenge, damn it. He likes the challenge. But, you know, one thing that really bugs me about Stretch though, this season, and I think you guys have probably seen me lose it on the sideline sometimes, is when Stretch, when he has the ball, he's maybe three feet, four feet away from the basket. And instead of going towards it, 
he somehow loses position. He's a big dude. There's no reason he shouldn't be going towards the basket. I thought he did a little better job of it in the last couple of games, to be honest, but I think the last home game he had, I was, I don't understand, I don't understand why he doesn't do the bump, bump and just dunk. But I guess, like, if Sean Brooks was more effective than it, and he was a much smaller man. I'm actually surprised after hearing how soft Rodney was last year from a number of people on this podcast, but I haven't heard any of this <laughs> about Austin Williams because Austin Williams does not go nearly as strong to the hoop as Rodney does. It, it, it's not even close. Austin, I didn't, I didn't say anything about him being soft, by the way. Austin <laughs> Williams, that is. Austin, I no, said, that's what I'm saying. Turning like, the ball over and not playing with focus. I don't think he's playing soft. No, but this, this is what I'm saying. I don't like know how was, you make that analysis of Rodney last year. He was getting – he, he does not get to the hoop. He doesn't get the ball in the post. We never get – we don't we yes, don't get lost in the ball in the post. Not that often. No, not compared to Rodney. Not compared to Rodney. Rodney averaged Rodney 17 a game. Rodney was a better time. post player. Rodney was a better post player than Austin Williams. That's why he gets the ball more. Austin is decent, but how many times have you seen we pass the ball to, to Austin in the, in the post and he gets a dunk? Or he even gets like a layup. It's usually he's taking some sort of hook shot from further away than he should be. And he can hit it, and he's been fine, but I would like to see him get close to the hoop and get easier shots because he's bigger than everyone. I like all that offensive rebounding he was doing. And was it Bowling Green? That one game, was it like, what happened to that? That was great what he was doing in that one game. I mean, it was. Yeah, the Bowling Green first half, he had a lot of putbacks and offensive rebounds. That that but second half was a different story. Austin has, I think he's actually top ten in the nation in blocks uh, per game. Um, he's actually been great blocking off the ball. He's not great when he's actually it's his defender, the guy he's defending at blocking the shot. But he blocks a lot of um, shots from other people's men, and he's actually made some key blocks late in games. So I do have to say that about him. Um, yeah, that's been a huge. That's true. Yeah, 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 but that that analysis is spot on, though. That he's he's a lot better blocking uh, somebody else's man than he is uh, his own. And I don't know if that's because he de- doesn't time it right or what, or maybe the P person that he's blocking is, of course, just taller than him in some cases. He, he's got great. He's but. got good timing on. Yeah, like coming off to help uh, to block shots. But like we had mm-hmm. we had two shot blockers uh, like Chaz Crawford and, and Robert Battle back in the day. And those guys could do both. Um, so I wouldn't put Austin. As, I mean, he's, he might be blocking more shots than, than maybe Battle did. But um, but Battle seemed to do more when it was actually his man um, who he was defending, which sometimes I think is more helpful. Austin does seem to get scored over uh, a decent amount still. Yeah, I agree. When you miss the block, when you're going to block another guy's man, guess who's open? Your man. Yeah. <laughs> On the rebound. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, no, and that's that that has on that has on more than one occasion also ended up being costly for us. Yeah, but yeah, he's leading. You know, he's in the top three or top five in blocks. So who cares what our record is? Uh, but uh, the one thing I did want to I got a call this morning as I was driving into work, and it was a two one five number. And usually I don't get too many calls from two one five, even though I live in Philly. So I picked up, and it was some guy called Taylor from. Penn Athletics asking me when I was coming to the Palestra next. And it seems strange to me, but I guess uh, after last year's Drexel game, I was at the Palestra the day when I probably filled out the information when I was buying tickets 
Uh, they got enough information to follow up with me, uh, a year after and they're, and they also send me an email now. I'm just seeing this where apparently they do a palestra tour. So if you guys are interested, nope. there's just so much history of the palestra that it, that at times it's hard to take everything in through the course of a game. Pass. So <laughs> you see, for me, I don't know what it is. I know for a lot of people that follow college basketball in general, the palestra is kind of, uh, you know, a place of a lot of history and a lot of, uh, you know, it's like a place they want to go to. And uh, it's like, you know, for, for me, Palestra has always been a place of heartbreak. It's always been a place where we've been forced as a Drexel team to play home games uh, because some teams are too pompous to come to the deck. And I think because of that, I've always hated the Palestra. And, and even, you know, and I don't know how you guys feel about the Palestra, but I don't think I've quite ever recovered from that. Yeah, I mean, they would. We would supposedly be the home team, and we'd get shitty tickets. We'd be treated like crap as fans there, and then, uh, when we always like we lose a lot of games. So I, I hate it too. That is, I don't want to take a tour of that. I have no interest. <laughs> I concur. I think I think uh, Penn's old athletic director said it best when he once compared the Palestra to Marilyn Monroe when saying why Drexel should only play Penn there, and I thought that was an apt reference because. Like the like Marilyn Monroe, the Palestra is way past its prime when uh, when in the '60s it was in its heyday. <laughs> it's also dead, but <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I don't know. If, but one thing I guess that was enjoyable back in the day, Palestra was the Big Five Classic, and I did want to kind of talk to you guys a little bit. I know there, there's been some talk that. Uh, and there was an article last two weeks ago or two episodes ago, um, Marshall, that you'd uh, sent with Andy Katz, uh, the Andy Katz posting that about something about the City Six or Big Five Classic coming back. If it were to come back as the City Six Classic, uh, how, how would you guys, how would you guys like to see the format of it? I guess is it like a full day of basketball or what were you guys picturing? Three games in the first. I, yeah, I would. You know, yeah, a full day of basketball, just like it used to be. Um, I don't know how else you could do it. I guess, yeah. um, you know, start at 12, have a 3 o'clock game, and then you have a night game. Pretty cool. Right. Who wins the how, Who who wins the city? Like, is there anybody that wins it, though? Like, is there – do we have a couple-of-day tournament what? to see who wins – who's the reigning champion of the city? I mean, I, I think that – I think that's getting ambitious, <laughs> um, you know, just to get all the schools in one area for one day, I think is, um, I'll take that as a first start. I think I, I like the, the tournament format, Leon. I think you do it like a preseason, uh, like tip-off tournament, and, and you can have it so, you know, winter just goes on like a normal tournament, tournament format, and then you would get three good three good games out of it, get most of the play in the city schools out of the way. Um, and uh, you would have a winner out of that. And you could have a trophy as well. And I think someone said that I think you, in those tournaments, you play three games, but it only counts as two. So it doesn't hurt your schedule as much. Yeah. I think in an ideal world, it would be a tournament, but the thing that will always get in the way of it is the fact that LaSalle and St. Joe's still both play in the A-10. So if you have a tournament that's taking place out of conference, just the fact that those two teams could end up playing 
potentially four times in a season, uh, but from out of conference tournament to twice in the regular season to potentially in the A10 tournament. And I guess theoretically they could end up playing in the postseason in the in a postseason tournament as well. So they could end up playing five times in a year. I think that makes it a little iffy to make it actually a tournament. If they could either say that doesn't matter, which I guess could be the case, or um, if they were just in different conferences, I think it would easily open it up for a 16 tournament to uh, it like round robin style. So everyone still plays the same amount of games. Uh, obviously two teams would get an initial buy or however you figure it out. But having an actual winner, I, I always thought would make it a little bit nicer. The, the round robin, I guess is nice. And, uh, Nova ends up winning it most years anyway. I think usually they end up sweeping it. Um, but having an actual tournament with a winner, I think would be nice. Uh, Boston does that with the bean pot. Granted, it's only four schools, but they have a four team hockey tournament and there's an actual winner of it every year. I mean, we, we have the most to gain from it just because scheduling wise, we get those teams on, on the calendar every year, which would be nice. Usually they're duckiness for the most part. Yeah, I think we were going to run into the. I mean, isn't there there's Villanova who would have an issue? Like Villanova would be like, what do we have to gain from a tournament? Um, I mean, we love it. No, they'll they'll think selfishly. I think a tournament is just over. I think it's ambitious. I I don't think it. There's a lot of reasons it'll be tough to put together. Just getting one day will be hard enough. Um. You know, Villanova is going to be like, why do I don't? You know, they, they, what are they getting out of it? No, that's a tough one. That's a tough one to sell. Villanova plays those guys anyway, so um, I mean, they at least play play St. Joe's every year, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if, who else they have on the Vill- on the calendar. Every- Villanova plays all four yeah. of those. Villanova plays all four of those schools every year. Yeah, so, I mean, if you actually had a tournament format, you could be like, hey, we're not going to have all four of these. We're just going to play in this tournament. And that actually gets one of them off of their schedule. <laughs> so, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's helpful for them or not, but maybe that's a selling point for them, too. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of this. I hope something does because it was a, it was a fun little tradition of basketball. Uh, anything else you guys have? I, uh, I just want to apologize to the listeners. I have not had a chance to finish watching Highlander yet. Uh, I will. I will finish watching it. And the next time I'm at a home game, if you want to hear my thoughts on it, you can come <laughs> up and ask me and I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts. I thought you were watching it during the last podcast taping. I think I, well, I was. And then I think I watched the Sixers game when that came on. Nick, this is a, this is an old movie where they made, you know, Plots took forever to develop, even though heads started rolling soon. Oh, oh right. I forgot. I forgot. And I, I would have watched it during this podcast, but I was watching Nick Foles' uh, hype videos. <laughs> <laughs> Are you hyped? I'm on the Foles train. St. Nick, baby, bringing us the Super Bowl. 